That word, mercy, what a rich and wonderful word that is. It assumes that we really did deserve judgment. That sin really does call down upon us the wrath of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, brings not judgment but grace through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here this morning. God is so good. Amen? God is so good. It's so good to see all of you, and those of you online as well. As we continue digging into the scriptures, into the life of Jesus, what he did, what he taught, because it's there that we find mercy, and we find truth, and we find the path set out for us, and all the lies of this world are put aside. It's in Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life that we find the way, and we find the truth, and we walk in life. So we've been taking week after week to work through this Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to continue. Hopefully you have spent some time this last week working through the journal, praying over, reflecting on the Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Now, you remember this outline that I've shown you several times on the left side of the screen. You see the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Jesus is still in the northern part of Israel. He's ministering Galilee. He will soon go down to Judea and Jerusalem, and he will go to the cross and rise again from the dead. But through chapter 18, he's in the northern part of the kingdom, and that's where we are still. We're focusing on chapter 13, where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus came announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he meant was the kingdom of heaven is coming now in my person. That was his message. And to explain the meaning of that, he gives us seven parables here in chapter 13. The first one, the parable of the sower, that's where our life groups have been focusing today. The parable of the weeds, that's the parable I'm going to talk about with you this morning. Then you've got the rest, parable of the mustard seed, the yeast, hidden treasure, pearl, the net. Each one of these parables sets out some aspect of the kingdom that's important for us as believers to understand. But as I said, I want to focus on the parable of the weeds. So let's turn to that text now. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. 
He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Then they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, the parable's fairly straightforward, at least in its basic outlines. You have a landowner, and he has his fields planted with wheat. His servants go out and they sow the seed there in the field. Everything seems fine, but under the cloak of darkness, an enemy comes, and he's carrying a bag of seed, and he scatters it in the midst of this field. Weeds now are sown in the midst of all the wheat. No one knows about it. This has all been done secretly. But then, then they finally see that weeds are growing. You see, the weed that's being planted is something typically called darnel or bearded darnel. It looks very much like wheat when it sprouts out of the ground. As the two are growing, you can hardly tell them apart until the head begins to show, and then you can see the difference. So here you see a picture of the two. You've got wheat on the one side, darnel on the other, and you can see now that the head has, sh- has, has begun to, to come out, you can see the difference between the two. But until this point, you can't tell at all. And in fact, shortly after this time, it becomes more and more obvious because the wheat turns golden brown and the head gets very large, so it causes the stalk to bend over. In the case of darnel, it turns black because black seeds appear and it stays upright. But in the early stages, you can't tell. And so everything seems to be going just fine. And then the servants notice somebody has sown darnel. Actually, they don't know that. They come to the owner and they say, there are weeds in the field. Didn't you sow good seed? I don't know. Maybe in the back of their minds, they're thinking, you know, you should sow good seed, pure seed, only of wheat. Didn't you go and buy good seed or did you buy some crummy stuff where all the weeds were mixed in? Well, the owner knew immediately what happened. Oh, I've sowed good seeds in the field, but an enemy has come and done this. Well, do you want us then to go and pull all the weeds out? No, don't pull out the weeds now. The roots have begun to intermingle. If you pull out the darnel, you pull out the weeds, you can end up uprooting the wheat as well. So just be patient. Let them grow side by side, and at the harvest, then there'll be a separation. Now, when Jesus explains this parable, he says that the field is the world. And so, the Son of Man has sown into the world, in this case, the people of the kingdom. In the parable of the sower, the sowing of the seed, that's the message of the gospel. But here, the seed is sown and the wheat comes up and the wheat represents those who believe in Christ. If we were to use today's terminology, Christians. 
Now, back then, they didn't yet have the word Christian, but that's what we're talking about here. On the other hand, the weeds represent the children of the enemy or of the devil. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it's always presented that way. You're one or the other. It's black and white. It's either or. You're either following God or you are under the power of the devil. We're tempted to be skeptical when we see language like that because when we look at the world, it's, it's not so clear. It's not so black and white. There are varying shades of gray. That's because in the real world, in this age, sinners are not completely sinful and saints still have plenty of sins themselves. And so there's this ambiguity, this kind of intermingling, it seems. But what Matthew sets out in his gospel and what Jesus teaches is that ultimately there are only two options. Either you are a member of God's kingdom or you are under the domain of the devil. That's how it's going to fall out in the end. And so the master says, no, don't pull up the weeds. Let them grow side by side and then at the harvest we'll make a distinction. So the field is the world, and throughout the world, Jesus has planted his people. And many people take reading this parable say, well, that pretty much sums it all up, that in the world you have those who, who follow God and you have those who don't. Those are the two groups. They're going to live side by side until the judgment comes. And the parable certainly does teach that. But I think... I think it's important to notice one detail at the very beginning. Jesus talks about the Son of Man sowing seed. The enemy comes and sows seed where? Yes, in the world, in the field, we get that. But where specifically? Among, it says, the wheat. In other words, here you have the wheat, and in the midst of the wheat, you have the weeds. I think what Jesus is indicating is that not just that there are people who reject God and live in sin throughout this age, but that among the people of God, among the people of the kingdom, there will be others who are, to use the term, pseudo-Christians not true followers of Christ, not always distinguishable from Christians, just like darnel and wheat are not always distinguishable. It has to reach, it has to grow to a certain place where the head forms, and then you can see, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's a weed. And in the same way, within the visible church, there are many people, many people, children of the kingdom. And yet, according to Jesus, in the midst of God's people, there are the devil's people. That's a sobering thought, don't you think? But that's what Jesus says, that right there in the midst, and so there is this intermingling of the two, not just in the world, but I think in the visible church, there's an intermingling of the two. So there's some conclusions we can draw from that. There's some points I want to make. The first point is this, that no one should be shocked that there is sin in the church. 
I had a young man come see me a while back. And he said, you know, I used to say I was a Christian, but I, I no longer say that. I'm not a Christian. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I've seen too much. Well, what have you seen? Well, I've seen corrupt preachers. Every preacher I've ever seen is corrupt. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, you are talking to a preacher. I wonder where that puts me. I was hoping he was, he was counting me as an exception, but I didn't really know. He'd seen all these corrupt preachers, and he'd seen all these hypocrites in the church, and he started listing out the sins of the church, which isn't hard to do, right? You can find all kinds of things in the church. And he said, I just can't believe when you have all of that going on in the church. And I said, if it wasn't for the corrupt preachers and the hypocrites in the church, you would have no reason to believe Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I mentioned this parable. Jesus said that in this age, there would be an intermingling of the two and that the separation would not happen until the end of the age, at the harvest. There would be a separation, but not now. Now, they'll grow side by side. I said, if that's not true, then Jesus is not the Son of God. That's what he taught. The point I'm making of course, is that sin in the church may be bad and it may be disappointing, it may be heartbreaking, it may, it may cause us deep pain when we see it, but it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said it would be so. So you tell me there are racists in the church? Well, of course there are. Jesus said that you would see that kind of thing. There are greedy people in the church? Absolutely. Do you find families in the church where there's physical abuse and sexual abuse? Sadly, that is true. It's because you have an intermingling in the church. Not until the end, says Jesus, will everything that causes sin and all who do evil, only then will all that be taken out of God's kingdom, it says. Only then, until then, we're going to see those things happen. And, and that, as disturbing as it may be, is what we all know is the case. And of course, you see it through history, right? There are all sorts of things that have happened in history. People talk about the Crusades. They talk about, you know, different things the church has been involved in, and today as well. But... Jesus said it would be so. Do not be surprised by that fact. Secondly, given this parable, the church should strive for purity, but the church must never become puritanical. Now, the two halves to that statement, I want to take them in turn. The first is the church really should strive for purity. The whole New Testament talks about how we as believers are to faithfully follow Christ. We get that. And in Matthew 18, Jesus even gives instructions. When you have somebody in the church who is committing serious sin and is unrepentant, then 
Brothers and sisters are to go to them and confront them with their sin. And if they won't listen, a process starts to work that can eventually lead to putting that person out of the church. That's pretty severe. Later on, the church had a name for that. It's called excommunication. Excommunicating people from the church. The Apostle Paul talks about doing that. In 1 Corinthians, he tells the church how they are to go about excommunicating someone who's unrepentant. So the Bible is clear that purity among God's people matters. And not anything, everything is okay. And there is such a thing as church discipline. That's all true. But what this parable tells us is that we have to balance that with a certain realism about the world as it exists today. We don't want to become puritanical. We don't want to be watching people so carefully how they live, what they believe, what they say, and then, you know, come against them, drive them out of the church. We don't want to be so intent on being a pure people that we end up wounding folks. As Jesus puts it, you don't want to be yanking up the weeds and in the process destroying the wheat. That's what we have to avoid, that kind of puritanical Christianity. Nobody wants to live with that. You don't want to live with that. I don't. You don't want the, our church to have, you know, some camera overhead watching down all the time, you know, some drone videoing your life, whatever you do, and then recording everything you say. You know, that little thing you get from Google or Amazon listening in, you give orders to it, actually it's recording you and those recordings are being sent to the church and we, we listen to that along with the video and we determine whether you're a real Christian, whether you're worthy to be in this congregation. If you're not, we're going to just kick you out. I mean, who wants to be in a church like that where you're always being examined, you're always on edge? The fact is, at many points, we can't even tell the difference between someone who is an authentic Christian and someone who's just wearing a mask. In fact, the people themselves don't always know. We're great at lying to ourselves. So like the wheat and the darnel, there's a time when we can't tell the difference. And even when we can tell the difference, things are interlaced in such a way that you can't just go out pulling weeds. So ultimately, you have to leave it in the hands of God. That's what Jesus says. So is there bad stuff in the church? Yes. Is there bad stuff in First Woodway? Of course there is. This is a big church. There are a lot of people in this church. A lot of people come. A lot of people say they come. And, and sometimes they do things or say things. I have seen some Facebook postings, for instance, where you want to say, oh, oh, please don't say that. Or things are done, and, and it would be easy for somebody to say, oh, look at those people at First Woodway. That doesn't shock me. That doesn't phase me. Because, because that's what Jesus said would happen. So we don't want to become puritanical. We want to follow Jesus Christ as faithfully as we know how, not everything 
can be accepted. There comes a point when church discipline has to kick in. But before that point, we've got to give each other, each other some, some room to breathe. It's sort of like free speech. Free speech is an important and good thing. I don't want to live in a society where there isn't free speech. But you don't have free speech if you're only allowed to speak what is true and good. That is, free speech only works if you allow speech that is not true and is not good. You don't like it. You wish it wasn't there. But unless you give freedom for what's not the best, you can't have the good society that you want. It's too oppressive. Same way here. If we start trying to make sure the church is pure, then we're going to end up destroying the church. We light a fire. We want to purify everything, and we burn the whole house down. In the Reformation, the, the Protestants wanted to purify the church, and some of them wanted to go the whole way. They didn't want anybody in the community that wasn't clearly a believer and living by the commandments of Jesus. They got pretty harsh about it at times. Martin Luther would have nothing to do with it. He said something interesting. Those fanatics who don't want to tolerate any weeds end up with no wheat either. You start pulling weeds and you're going to damage the wheat. So there's a radical middle here. There's a balance the church wants to be faithful, but let's not forget the church is a training ground for people who haven't figured it out yet. The church is a hospital for people who are sick. The church is a place that loves and affirms people and doesn't judge them. Oh, I'm not sure if you're a Christian. That doctrine isn't quite right. Oh, you said things that don't sound right. Oh, look who you voted for. You know, we start... <laughs> having this list of things. No, God save us from being so holy like the Pharisees are holy that we destroy the work of God. Amen? And then the third point is that in the end, God will be glorified in his holiness and in his grace. He's not going to let things go forever. There will be a separation. Right now, his sun shines on the good and the wicked, says Jesus. But the day's coming when that will no longer be the case. Remember those last verses that we read a minute ago. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So you see God glorified in his holiness. The holy God will have a redeemed creation, a purified creation in which his will is done. His kingdom finally established. That will be. And he will destroy all that opposes him. Nothing will remain except God who is Lord over all. And so that day will come and it will come as judgment for some. It will come as redemption for others. 
Those others are not better than those who are judged, but they have accepted God's offer of mercy. They've received mercy. They deserved judgment. They received mercy. And now they shine like the sun. That is, they are resplendent with the glory of God. Think about that. All of us, all of us, as morally challenged as we might be, as flawed as we are, will one day be so resplendent with glory that if some unredeemed person saw us, they'd be tempted to bow down and worship because we'd be covered with the glory of God. That's what's ahead for those of us who know Christ. God will be glorified in his holiness and in his grace. So in the meantime, we recognize that there will be evil in the visible church, but we are not to allow that to dominate our minds or control our thinking. We have reason to rejoice because Jesus really did come and he really did introduce the kingdom of God into this world. He announced it and he brought the kingdom. He really did die on the cross for sinners and rise again from the dead. And he really does reign in heaven. And people are discovering grace around the world. And that kingdom will, in the end, triumph. The enemy comes in and tries to destroy it by sowing evil in the midst. But in the end, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, because God has determined that his work will prevail. And so we have reason to rejoice. And we don't have cause to feel like we've got to go and root everything out, all the evil that we can find. Again, there's a radical middle here. I'm not saying that anything goes and that church discipline can be set aside. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we're not a bunch of Puritans. We are sinners saved by grace, seeking to follow him and rejoicing in what we've experienced and rejoicing that we have the privilege of sharing good news with people. That's what we're called to do. And if you've come this morning and you are not a believer, that is, you've not begun to follow Jesus Christ, you might be at home watching us online, you've not yet begun that journey, let me say this to you. You can begin it today. All of us can begin it today. If you read just this parable, you might think that either you're a weed or you're wheat, one or the other, and that's just what it is. But that's not true. The truth is weeds can become wheat. There can be a transformation. You can receive Christ, and your life can begin again. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace you have lavished on us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace that reaches out to each one of us now. Lord, we rejoice in your kingdom, in the power of your kingdom. And though we grieve, Lord, when we see yet more evil in this world and even within the church. Lord, we do not despair for we know that you are Lord and the whole universe will see it someday soon. Lord, we 
We want to follow you and follow you faithfully. We pray you would help us do that. And for any, Lord, whether online or here in this room, who need to take that step of commitment, give them grace to do it now. In Jesus' name, amen.